Hey everyone, this is Dave Korsunsky from Data Driven Health Radio. On this show, we look at how individuals are empowering themselves and using data to transform the way they manage their health. We interview the health experts and the scientists that will help you understand and interpret the data. We speak with the entrepreneurs who are building the tools and the technology that are allowing us to quantify our health in novel and powerful ways. And most importantly, we speak to the individuals who are beating the odds on everything from cancer to diabetes to weight loss and general health and wellness. This show is brought to you by Aura. They make a state-of-the-art ring that can track sleep cycle analysis, activity, and recovery. You can learn more about this product at headsuphealth.com slash Aura. That's O-U-R-A. This show is also brought to you by our good friends over at Keto Mojo. They are making a highly accurate and highly affordable device for testing blood sugar and blood ketones. Check it out at headsuphealth.com slash ketomojo. And lastly, the show is brought to you by Level. They are making a clinical grade breath ketone analyzer, which measures your level of fat burning and ketosis through a simple breath. You can learn more at headsuphealth.com slash level. That's L-E-V-L. All of these amazing products are integrated with Heads Up Health. They all allow you to quantify your health in novel and powerful ways. So check them out. Thank you to our sponsors. Welcome to our show, and let's get into it. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. This is Dave Korsunsky, your host with Data Driven Health Radio, and my great honor today to have Sean Wells with me, a man who I had the great pleasure of meeting at FitCon. I think it was two weekends ago now, and uh, he delivered some fantastic presentations. So he's a stud, and I said, we need to have you on this show to share any number of the incredible topics that you write about on your blog and that you have ex- domain expertise on. So it was actually hard to find an area that we wanted to go into. I'll also say that if you're watching on YouTube, Sean and I have the same haircut. So uh, <laughs> we both look good. That's important, right? That's so, key. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks, thanks for joining, Sean. I'm really excited to dive into this, this topic today, which we'll introduce shortly. But prior to that, just give us a quick intro. I'm, uh, I'll just start out with the banger that I'm known as the world's greatest formulator. I didn't give myself that name. Uh, Dr. Jacob Wilson did. And uh, we've been best friends for, for a long time and really respect him. And, and uh, he threw that on me and it stuck. And it's, it's been a great name. It's opened up a lot of doors for me. And I I actually feel like it's true. I'm very well known throughout the industry when it comes to formulations, but I've also been a keto dieter for about 20 years. I've been a, a biohacker all my life. That's kind of the whole keto diet thing and getting into supplements from an early age and playing with nutrition, playing with devices, different workout modalities. Like, you know, because Jacob's my friend, I've been doing blood flow restriction and intraset stretching and high intensity interval training and just, you know, playing with everything I can play with intention, you know, time under tension, all those kinds of variables I like to play with. So kind of affects all aspects of my life. I I think I'm a a true scientist and uh, I'm a biochemist and I have my, my RD registered dietitian, certified sports nutritionist. 
So hopefully I can bring some value to your show. Kindred spirit, everything you just rattled yeah. off is awesome. Yeah, so I'm known as the world's greatest formulator, a name that's stuck and was given to me by Dr. Jacob Wilson, uh, who's a best friend of mine down at Aspie in Tampa. And Ryan Lowry is the love of my life, my total man crush that uh, I can't look Oh, man, out. you guys had a, a beautiful bromance on stage at Fitness. Oh, thank you. Just thank you. So wonderful to watch. Yeah, spectacular. Thank you. We mentor each other. And he's, yeah. he's just brilliant and generous, and I love him. Yeah, so my background is I'm a registered dietitian, certified sports nutritionist, nutritional biochemist. I have been doing supplements for about 20 years. I've been keto for about 20 years. I've always been a biohacker, but since the, the terms kind of emerged, now I, I uh, agree with the term and, and label myself as such. So I actually have kind of coined a term called biohacktivist that I consider myself. It's, it's a mashup of a mashup of a mashup. So, you know, biohacking is, is biology hacking your biology, biohacking. And then there's a term activism that's, you know, kind of come up in recent years with hacking for activist reasons. Like, so think of um, Edward Snowden, Anonymous, Julian Assange, whether you agree with those guys or not, socially, they're trying to evoke change through hacking. And so I like the idea of like this biohacktivism where it's not just a selfish pursuit of anti-aging and trying to improve yourself. It's, it's trying to improve yourself so you can improve the world around you. And that's something that I, I push for. And I know like Ryan Lowry pushes for like uh, making positivity louder. And I think our whole purpose on the planet is to help each other. And, you know, learning would be pointless unless it's passed on. And we would still be in the stone ages unless, uh, unless that learning was, was passed on. So we all stand on the shoulders of giants. So that's my thought process. But you can ask me anything yeah. and we'll get into it. I'm excited. Well, I love the hacktivism aspect to it. That's why I built Heads Up Health is just to yeah. give people the, da the data and give people some numbers. Go figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And if you are getting overwhelmed or you're confused or you just want to test something, go measure it. And what we're doing is making it easier for people to measure. So testing a lot of different interventions, testing reactions to different foods, testing different products that measure sleep quantity, and then also testing your blood work and making sure that all these things you're doing, the needle is moving in the right direction. So that's how I try to help people in their journey is just give them an easy way to manage the numbers. I moved from a hideous spreadsheet, which, which anyone who's really carefully tracking their health has at some point and said, how can we just glorify this spreadsheet and make it available to anybody and just go test it? So I need to do this, actually. I need to do this with you. Maybe, yeah, maybe cool. that could be another episode. We, you can go through my results. One of the reasons that I'm a biohacker is, is actually because I'm so broken. I have Hashimoto's. I have pituitary adenoma and have uh, a host of hormonal and neurotransmitter issues. And I've had some adrenal fatigue. I have Epstein-Barr, fibromyalgia. I have two discs that I had replaced in my cervical spine, C5, C6, C7, the titanium disc. So I've, uh, you know, I've gone through it. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about all this stuff is really digging in, you know, for myself. But 
definitely have learned so many things in the process that I've tried to help others. So yeah, like like minded there for sure. My my journey is very similar. A lot of those things you rattled off, I've also have dealt with or am dealing with, and I just rely on careful measurement and careful tracking and finding things that work and testing different interventions. A couple of things on my list to start testing are, are PEMF is something I want to add into my routine. I've, I've been carefully tracking my sleep with the ring and, and just starting to realize just how many things need to go right to actually have a really incredible night of sleep. So all of these, these different interventions are things that motivate me and that I had to do to fix myself. I had GI dysbiosis, so working on gut issues. Bless Dr. Grace Lou's heart. She's, she's taken me under her wing and, and is fixing, fixing up gut issues and adrenal fatigue awesome. and all kinds of good stuff. So we've got lots of, of things in common there, including our cool haircuts. So yeah, man, I need to get the oil ring. I, I'm I'm waiting on the the 2.0 to come out so I can get that. Yeah, I think they're shipping uh, towards the end of this month. It's enlightening and it's maddening at the same time because you just realize how many variables need to go right to get a good night's sleep. And once you start noticing the patterns, like okay, when I get my lowest resting heart rate, when I finish eating, all of these things go into it. So it's uh, you have to come at it with a good frame of mind, or you'll drive yourself nuts. Actually, the breathing uh, thing is something that I wanted to talk about because you, you brought up sleep. I was just at Quest for a human optimization summit, I think, human, or something like that. And I was there actually with Ryan Lowry. And we talked about the Takeo breathing, but we also talked about some really fascinating stuff like mouth taping at night. Mm-hmm. to improve nasal breathing. We're meant to be nasal breathers. We're not meant to be mouth breathers. And we're the only species that sleeps with their mouth open at night. And there's actually been, there's a book like in 1869 about like, you know, shut your mouth for like uh, better health or something like that. And it's amazing how long this has been around. But when we breathe in through our nose, we, one, filter bacteria. Two, we moisten and heat up the air. And there's some things that, and there's actually sensors, if you will, like in your nose that detect the ratio of like CO2 to O2, similar to maybe like a sensor in a car with like fuel and air, you know, the the proper mix. So a lot of these things don't happen when we breathe through our mouth. And this is the reason, like if you wake up in the morning, and this is even putting sleep apnea aside, like which if you wake up after a night of sleep apnea, you feel like garbage. But even if you wake up in the morning and you're just kind of hoarse, you have like a deeper voice in the morning, you kind of like sound like you're like people ask you and they talk to you first thing in the morning and like, hey, you're getting sick or you have allergies or mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. All that is because you're breathing through your mouth. And you can train yourself to breathe through your nose by taping your mouth. You get this, you can get something called mouth tape, like on Amazon, but it's essentially more like a, a less adhesive tape, like think of like maybe like a painter's tape, something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you can start training yourself at night to breathe through your nose as you're supposed to. And these guys there were like saying that it was cutting... I mean, it depends which way you want to go with it. If you want to sleep like as you've been sleeping, but cut back your time so you can 
essentially have like an extra hour or two a day, that's what they're achieving. Like they're getting an hour and a half, two hours less sleep and still feeling just as good. Now, of course, if you sleep the same amount of time, you're going to feel like a million bucks. And, you know, if you're taping and you might wake up like the first, you know, so many days and just instinctively rip this thing off your mouth because it's not natural. But over time, just like if you were to use CPAP, if you were sleep apneic, you'll get used to it. And it also works for, you know, like when you're training, I did another class and it was called Breathe to Perform at Onnit, actually. And uh, it was a great class. And, and we did it with high intensity interval training. We were learning how to use breathing through the nose to bring down our heart rate faster, to be more efficient. But it's something that you have to get better at. Like at first you'll feel fatigued. At first you'll feel you're not tapping into it as well, but it's just something you have to do over time. It takes training. And another aspect of breathing, and I bring this up because breathing is just so underappreciated. Like if you think about like our, our Maslow's pyramid and the base of the pyramid, and you know, we have you know, food, water, sleep, reproduction, all these kinds of things that are base needs. Clearly, breathing is one of those. And we're doing all these things like, you know, keto and intermittent fasting and, you know, aura ring and this and that. But we're not like that focused on breathing as insane as that is. It's really groundbreaking. And all the alveoli, the, the majority of the alveoli are like at the base of your lungs. This is why, like, really tapping into diaphragmatic breathing is important. Yes. So, like, if you put your hand at the base of your ribs and you feel you breathe, you should feel instead of air here, you know, in your chest, you should feel a 360 breath coming out all sides. And that means your diaphragmatic breathing. And that takes time to get better at as well. Sometimes it's easier if you're laying down, laying on your back to get better at that. But it's a good exercise to, at times, put your hands like right below your ribs and see if that's happening. We tend to be, especially in that sympathetic state that we're always in, right? We tend to be more essentially throat and, and upper chest breathers, like shallow breathers. You know, that has repercussions and that actually creates more anxiety. It's kind of a, a downward spiral. So it's just something to, to be aware of, to increase your breath strength so that you can decrease your breath rate and become more efficient, oxygenate better, feel more alert. All these things that we're supposed to do, but we're not. We're using our mouths too much. We become too reliant on it. And one reason that these guys gave at the summit was actually, this is fascinating, I think, is that we've been essentially eating too many soft foods and the jaw strength is not there. And therefore, those muscles like the masseter muscles and all those kinds of things that you know create the wider skull, the thicker brow ridge, the, yep. the wider jaw. It opened up nasal passages. It opened up airways to allow for greater air, greater air exchange. And that's just not the case anymore. You can actually see over like the last 400 years, our skulls get dramatically smaller and more narrow, which is you know why I think you hear more and more about deviated septums and sinusitis and all these kinds of things. Sleep apnea are becoming more and more prevalent because we're eating softer food diets. So it's all fascinating stuff, but uh, I would encourage everyone to work on their, their breath work. And you can look up 
breathe to perform. You can look up Wim Hof. He has something that he does called superventilation, which is similar to hyperventilation, but with intention. But there's a lot of techniques that I think could be groundbreaking. Clearly, this has been worked on since almost the beginning of time with meditation and yoga and things like that, fire breath, all these kinds of things. But we're just, we're not utilizing these things for some reason. It's kind of been forgotten. And I think now it's being rediscovered that this is one of the most key principles to probably extend our lives and improve our quality of lives. And it's free. I mean, taping your mouth, pretty cheap. Yes. And, uh, and working on your breath work and meditating is very cheap. So hopefully um, your listeners can appreciate that. I could not agree more on the fact that the power of breath is completely underappreciated. I agree with you. It does take work and practice. It may feel unnatural even to do certain meditative practices where you're doing a three-point breath, for example. I've tried to do it as part of a training regimen where it becomes even harder to learn how to regulate breath when you're doing exercise that is very demanding on the cardiovascular system. I know how powerful it can be. It definitely takes time. I think that there are benefits not only for health, but also if you're doing breathing practices as part of spiritual uh, growth as well. It can enhance things around meditation, around our ability to enter higher states of consciousness in completely natural ways. It's an area that's incredibly exciting for me. I have not made a lot of space for it in my life yet, but I think it's an area that's incredibly fascinating and and powerful. So maybe we can just segue that, Sean, into what we wanted to talk about around nootropics and performance hacks. And I guess the first one would be maybe we can just start with breathing exercises from a personal performance point of view. And I know that one of the first things I do in the morning is is I'll try to drop into meditation, whether it's just five, 10, or 15 minutes. And the days where I'm able to successfully make the space in the morning. So what I'll do is before I go to bed, I'll put my phone on airplane mode and I'll wake up in the morning and I'll do my meditation for 10 or 15 minutes before I even turn on the phone and start getting barraged by stimuli that are exciting and all that kind of stuff. So dopamine, yeah. Yeah, dopamine. The the rush starts as soon as the phone comes off airplane mode, and then I'm just basically on a on a on a dopamine binge until about 8 yeah. p.m. when I decide to shut it down. But the first performance hack we guess we could talk about here is just meditation in the morning and how that can set the stage for us in terms of productivity, our ability to self-regulate, our ability to tune out distraction and really focus on things that are important. So maybe we can just start with your thoughts on, on the morning ritual and how that helps us go about our day. Yeah, you bring up a few things that really make me want to dive in a little bit more. One of the things was with the, the mouth taping, these guys said that they took a hike with a friend and they mouth taped so they could train themselves to nasal breathe more. Obviously, they couldn't speak during this because your mouth is taped. And that's that's hard, right? That's another difficult thing if you do this, to go hiking with a friend, but mm-hmm. tape your mouth so you can't talk. But, you know, he said what happened was he was more mindful of the hike itself. He became more mindful of nature, became more mindful of the weather, of the sun, the wind, and it was exchanging glances and sharing that with 
with this other person. And so that's something that, you know, I think can be good training is to maybe talk less and take in more. And I know like one of the breakthroughs for me when I started doing Headspace was that I always thought meditation was this kind of, mm, you know, like you're zoning out, and, you know, you have to like have no thought and so difficult. I, I've always struggled with that because my brain goes haywire. I mean, a monkey brain, especially like when the lights go out. We all so, like, do. It's very difficult. Yeah. yeah. But one of the things I like that Andy talks about in Headspace is that like that isn't like the first step to meditation, like just being mindful, no matter where you're at, is, is fine. Like you can be in traffic, you can be driving and be mindful and practicing a type of meditation. You can hear noises that aren't necessarily pleasant noises, jackhammers and babies crying and someone screaming and whatever. And instead of interpreting that as positive and negative and attaching emotions to it, you just let it be and you let the noises come to you, let the stimuli come to you and be aware of them instead of filtering them out and cranking up the radio and just being assaulted with so many stimuli, take each one as it comes and now you're aware of your environment and what happens is you become more grounded, you become more placed into your environment instead of stuck in your head and being assaulted with thoughts and so many different stimuli and you're you're removing a lot of your your thoughts your monkey brain and you're taking in what's around you which we i mean how often have you driven the same way to work you know all the time but you don't know many of the street signs you don't know many of the billboards you don't know many of the restaurants you don't know the street names you don't know the cars that you're passing by every day the same car at the same time is going the opposite huh? direction almost every day now, how many of these things are you missing? Flowers that are blooming, the birds that are up on the power lines, the, you know, whatever. Like, how many of these things are you missing that literally you're taking into your eyes and ears? But because you're so distracted, because your text messages and the radio and all these kinds of things going on, you're too distracted. And, you know, one of the things that I took away, like when I went to Onnit and um, hung out with, with Aubrey Marcus, the CEO, was, he never looked at his phone whenever I was around him. And no matter who he interacted with, the girl at the smoothie bar or to me or to, you know, someone who's a multimillionaire partner of his, um, he would just give them 100% focus and yes. just look at you in the eye. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do this kind of thing like where he's like, yeah, mm, yeah. You know, where he's looking at his phone or because you're less important, supposedly on this hierarchy, he wouldn't, you know, just kind of feign interest in you and just, you know, brush you off and give you some quick answer. He gave you 100% focus. And I believe it's because it's something that he does quite quite a bit. And um, he talks about uh, in his book that's actually coming out this, this week, Own the Day, Own Your Life, I think it is. But he talks about his ayahuasca DMT as being like a good way to get outside of the ego. And I think that's kind of fascinating. I have not done that yet, but I, I believe it, it's been instrumental to him, but also his meditation practice. And he's very good at meditation and he's very good at not being hyper-distracted. Like you were talking about, Simon Sinek talks about, uh, who's author of Start With Your Why, which is a phenomenal book, but he has, yeah, uh, a, clip. He has a clip with um, Tom Bilyeu, um talking about 
the dopamine rush of cell phones and, and how you can kind of get into that downward spiral. And I think that sets the tone similar to what you're talking about, like also what Tim Ferriss talks about with the four hour work week is not getting into that, that uh, downward spiral that you start out in the morning going down the rabbit hole of like emails, like you're saying, and text messages, and you never really accomplished anything. And it sets a bad tone. And using your cell phone and, and all the notifications, like you need to reduce your notifications. One, you need to look at your cell phone less, but two, you need to reduce the notifications. And you're getting way too many, and they're not really that important. And you can literally, if it's Facebook, if it's Instagram, direct messages, whatever, you can just go on, set a time. I'm going to check my cell phone. I'm going to get on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, like four times a day. And this is when I'll get on. Instead of like the constant ding, and you know, Tim Ferriss talks about that with your email, that you set times to look at your email instead of getting push notifications. And he also talks about stacking your day, like so that you can take a two-hour walk and you do all your phone calls during that walk. Set up all your phone calls during that time. And he also talks about start your day. You're, like Tim Ferriss talks about there's two critical things with any super successful person. The two things are, one, they have excellent meditation practices, whether they call it meditation or gratitude or whatever. Strong meditation. Got to to have strong game on meditation. It helps reset your mind and reframe what is what you might see as problematic. And I believe like once you can do that, then you go into the stoicism mindset, which Tim Ferriss Mm -hmm. is a big fan of. And Ryan Holiday is phenomenal author of like the obstacles away. But the stoicism reframes your mindset to see things that are potential problems or obstacles or things that are problematic to you that that you're just frustrated about, angry about, sad about, whatever, you see these now, you can reframe them with your meditation and see them now as opportunities. Opportunities to grow, opportunities to become something better. Opportunities almost always come out of these kind of scenarios. Opportunities aren't usually handed up to you on a great day when everything's going right. Here's a here's a chance to, you know, have this. Oh, like opportunities usually come out of like difficulty. And yes. you know, like speaking on stage, for example, we were talking about that. Like that's never easy, right? But over time it gets easier and easier. And do you want that? Do you want to get better at speaking? Then you gotta go do it. I think I, I read a quote from from Lewis Howes about, you know, the baby falls down when it's trying to walk like a hundred times. It doesn't say, you know, this isn't for me, right? But uh, we need we need to have that mindset. And it's like, don't say it's not for you. Don't like let your fears control you. Instead, like go at them, you know, head on and say, you know what? I'm afraid of this. That's exactly why I want to do this. I'm not going to let my fears control me. I'm going to be my best self. And, you know, that's something that like, you know, you say, like, I wish I could be this person that, you know, gets up on stage and, you know, crushes it, or I wish I could do this or that. I wish I could be a great athlete or uh, a great musician. Then go chase that. Go be that. Sorry, that was a tangent. Well, well, you covered a lot of really important stuff there, because I think that's the base uh, of a lot of what I want to talk about 
on the rest of this show, you can use all the smart drugs in the world, but if you have no concept of how your own brain works, you have no concept of how to regulate attention span, and do not have the ability to, to ground yourself, then the rest of the things we're going to talk about, I think, have limited value. But if you have a very strong practice where you can sit, learn to manage your thoughts, learn to self-regulate, some days are successful, some days are an absolute train wreck, but you're able to start recognizing that I think is foundation for a lot of the other things. I mean, just a few things you touched on, one notifications. I've gone into my iPhone and disabled every single app, every single notification. I don't even want to see the stupid status indicator on the on the mm -hmm. Instagram or the Facebook telling me that I have an unread notification. So I think that's incredibly important. I think learning how to breathe and having a breathing practice or whether it's the heart math type of uh, practice, that is actually helping you regulate the stimulation, regulate the excited, excitatory dopamine in the brain. So through breathing, we can control overstimulus. So I think that's a really, really important foundation. And you've given us some good re resources, Breathe to Perform, Headspace, which is like if you've never meditated and you think it's impossible, just put the headphones on for five minutes and, and they'll, they'll step you into something that really serves as the baseline. Now, now let's assume that you've, you've got a solid meditation game. You're working on self-regulation, self-control, and those types of things. And now you want to start taking performance to the next level. And you want to start introducing different supplements, different nootropics, and then getting into other things we want to talk about. Once you've got the baseline, which is, I think, what we, what we spent the first part of this show talking about, how would you start stepping people into, if you could start at the most basic, which would be like a solid B-complex vitamin, for example, and then start working your way up to different over-the-counter nootropic stacks, and then we can get into microdosing and, and other more advanced things like modafinil and stuff like that. But if we look at it as a spectrum and we start with the most basic from a mental cognitive performance booster, where, where would you start us out? Yeah, so absolutely. And I didn't mention the second practice that Paris uh, says is, is pivotal to all these successful people, which is the one you mentioned, is a morning practice, a morning routine that's essential, like doing those things like meditation, like taking time to maybe expose yourself to blue light, blue light or sunbathing or doing affirmations or just having a workout in the morning and, you know, I take a cold shower after my workout and, you know, the whole thing. So, but yes, as far as supplements I would take, I like to one, go into my morning fasted and I do the ketogenic diet. I do mm -hmm. um, cyclical and targeted ketogenic dieting, but I would recommend most people start out with a, a straight ketogenic diet for a while until they adapt in and then you can start experimenting. But as far as supplements, I would recommend, like you said, doing something that's a really foundational, really great multivitamin. Look at the doses. Look at the forms. The forms should be the coenzymated or active forms of B vitamins. So think instead of pyridoxine, it's P5P. Instead of cyanocobalamin, it's methylcobalamin. Instead of folate, it's 5-methyltetrahydrofolate. 5-MTHF, those kinds of things. That's what you want to see. You also want to see organic acids of the, of the minerals. So you want to see like magnesium citrate, you know, things like that. You don't want oxide or carbonate. 
Again, those yep. are the cheap things. So, you know, use kind of multi, you're probably going to be taking four plus capsules. You're going to pay 10 times as much, maybe. Like instead of a $5 multi, this might be a $50 multi. But uh-huh. what are you taking it for? I mean, if you're taking it to fill in nutritional gaps and optimize yourself, then this is the most core thing you can take. This is where I'd start. I'd also start with creatine because I think it's not only important for your muscles, but it's important for your brain health. It's a really elaborate on that. I I think most people know it as a bodybuilding supplement, but I also Mm -hmm. know that it does have cognitive boost, but I don't necessarily know that people understand that connection between brain performance, cognitive performance and creatine. Yeah. Well, one is it's, you know, correlation to, to ATP cellular energy, but then also like the whole methylation thing. And methylation protects the DNA, protects all your cells. Like I mean, methylation happens a bazillion times a day, like throughout all of the cells in your body. And so having like a great methylator, like betaine or creatine, can be really helpful to protecting the cells, your DNA uh, from damage. So they've shown that um, creatine it's also a buffer, but the creatine is, is neuroprotective and helps with scenarios like traumatic brain injury, similar to like a high DHA fish oil. So I would also recommend that at two or three grams a day. Those are all kind of foundational. And then I would say choline. Any nootropic stack has to have great form of choline. So either CDP choline, also called CD choline, or alpha GPC. Mm-hmm. Alpha GPC, when when uh, shown head to head in studies, is about 46% better than CDP choline. So I would go with Alpha GPC. I would use it at 400 to 600 milligrams, one to three times a day. I think 600 milligrams three times a day is best, but it gets pricey. But if you're using nootropics, like especially race hams, like think Pyrrhosium or new pets or you know all these kinds of things a lot of the nootropics deplete choline they're burning through acetylcholine which choline is kind of the precursor too and so you need to keep your i guess bioavailable forms of choline high like alpha gpc or else you'll start getting brain fog and headaches and all that kind of stuff and even though you're on nootropics and you think you should be limitless and you know going higher faster better if you don't have the choline in there you're going to run into some problems and then you might say well i can get choline through my diet no you can't not at this level and one you're choline deficient unless you use a supplement or eat eggs regularly period the end if you're vegan and you don't eat eggs and you don't take a supplement you're not getting enough choline period Let's just summarize for a second there, Sean, because you yeah. covered a lot of stuff. We started with, with, with baseline Line. grounding and finding a, a morning ritual that works for you, having a strong meditation game, some type of gratitude practices, really being able to understand intellectually how to, how to use breath as ways to start controlling our thoughts, our performance. That was kind of the baseline we set. Then you said that starting to become fat adapted, doing keto intermittent fasting, kind of like step two on the performance ladder. And then you touched on a high quality multivitamin. 
that has a lot of the, the higher end ingredients. Is, is there one or two that you recommend there that we could we could reference? I just formulated one that I would recommend because it took about two years yes, to, to work on that. Uh, it's just BioTrustAgeless yes, 4. And I'll tell you, like to work on the stability work and testing of the multivitamin, it's hard when you have like five ingredients because there's there's interactions between the ingredients. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. And you have to work on the stability for each ingredient so it meets the two-year shelf life. Mm-hmm. But to do a multi where there's like 30, you know, some ingredients and there's tons of interactions going on. So you have to drill down into the testing. And it literally took us two years of literally doing pilot run after pilot run after pilot run, sending it to the lab, sending it to the lab, doing what's called spike and recovery to test each one to see what's going on, where the interactions are, and it's very complex. So I would say if you're just buying some multi from whoever, I mean, first off, I would well, say 99% we, we of multivitamins. Yeah, 99% We, we want to talk about the good stuff here. Yeah, Don't have even the coenzymated vitamins like I was talking about. But there are some, like the one I just so, talked about, like BioTrust Asia Score, but if you want like another premium company that never disappoints, it's pricey, but like Thorn is really yep. as good as it gets. I, I love their stuff. And Same here. There's a com- company out of Canada called AOR that's very uh, high end. Uh, they have a product called OrthoCore. That's a great mm-hmm. multivitamin. So those are those are some so of the ones good. I would look yeah, at. Yeah, that, that was step three that I jotted down. Then you had uh, creatine, which is something that I think everyone's familiar with, which I do take pretty regularly. DHEA was the next one you mentioned. Uh, choline. High, high DHA D- fish sorry. oil. High yeah. DHA fish oil, yep. And then you mentioned uh, a choline, ideally uh, alpha-GPC-based uh, choline yeah. was the next one that you mentioned. And then moving up the stack, I think this is awesome. So moving up the stack, where else would you take us as we start progressing up? Maybe getting into some of the things that are more hypothetical, um, modafinil, provigil, or some of these specific nootropic stacks. And then maybe we can talk about microdosing a little bit. Do you see CBD oil coming into a uh, cognitive stack at all? Yeah, I do. Because CBD is anti-inflammatory, potently so. Most of these things that are anti-inflammatory help with systemic inflammation, which we all have too much of. We've talked about being yep. in a sympathetic state too much, but you know, also because I'm gonna, we I'm have- I'm gonna pop uh, 15 milligrams of uh, CBD oil actually right here as we speak, just in the interest of eating our own dog food here. So carry on and I'm gonna supplement while okay. we go. Okay. Not only do you have inflammation systemically, you have neuroinflammation. Right? Yes. It's actually holding you back from optimal brain performance. It's also the anti-BDNF, if you will. So brain-derived neurotrophic yep. factor is critical. And what this protein does, BDNF, for the brain, there's also another one called MGF, nerve growth factor. But they're both important for not only protecting existing neurons and helping with their conduction, but also creating new neurons. So when there is insults to the brain. Neurogenesis. Yeah, exactly. And neuroplasticity, exactly. So those are critical. So we have two types of learning. We have uh, crystallized intelligence and we have fluid intelligence. And believe it or not, we actually in some ways get smarter as we get older. And then in other ways, we get not as smart as we get older. When we're young, we're really good at fluid intelligence. 
We're really good at learning new tasks, but we're not as good at the crystallized intelligence because we're not as experienced. Crystallized intelligence is kind of like taking your box and making it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You've learned your shortcuts, you become more efficient, yes. and over time, Absolutely. it's like hardwired. And that's a type of intelligence, and we actually get more intelligent as we get older. The problem is, it's often at the expense of fluid intelligence. So we become not as good at learning new things. That's why it's more difficult, like, you know, a kid can, you know, pick up something and kind of learn that new task very quickly, but we struggle with it. Now, something that can be critical to keeping your BDNF levels up outside of supplementation and diet would be just doing new things, new tasks, often challenging your brain. They've shown that like you're actually protecting your brain from things like neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and conditions like that by like taking on a new language, taking on a new instrument, like a musical a new physical um, activity where you have to learn new 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 coordination of, of, of movement, all types of things about that. Even simple things like putting your shoes on the opposite way, putting your belts on the opposite way, brushing with yep. the opposite hand. You know, whether it's brushing your hair, your teeth, things like that. Like you think that's where that, that crystallized intelligence has gotten so tight that you become so efficient at it. Like you do it the same way, you know, each time every day and you get better and better and better at it over a course of years. So challenge yourself with simple things and just, you know, if you always hold the steering wheel with one hand, use the opposite hand, you know, things like that. And just those little things can open the door for more fluid intelligence. So this will make you sound and will upregulate BDNF. Yeah. So that's just constant adaptation of the brain, I think, that mm -hmm. we can do in different ways. The, the CBD, from a cognitive point of view, brings in an anti-inflammatory effect, especially in the brain. But my understanding is there are endocannabinoid receptors everywhere in the body. So you you can theoretically be lowering systemic inflammation everywhere yep. through CBD oil, which I guess would fit into this this kind of this stack that we're building on top of, correct? Correct. Yes, exactly. Cool. Another one that would be perfect in that realm is doing a curcumin, a mm -hmm. very highly bioavailable curcumin because it's potently anti-inflammatory and antioxidant like CBD. How do you, how do you I, take that, Sean? What do you recommend? Is it pill format? Is it is it tincture? How how would you recommend someone dabble with that? Right. I like the, the pill form, but my favorite branded one, there's about there's three bioavailability enhanced forms that, that are well researched. There's one called C3 from Sabinsa that uses piperine black pepper extract, and it's about two to three times better bioavailability. There's Mariva, which is a, uh -huh. um, a phospholipid enhanced form, and that is six to seven times more bioavailable. And then there's curcumin, which is a very unique uh, form of curcumin that's from OmniActive, and that's 46 times more bioavailable. So that's my preferred form. I actually formulated with it in uh, BioTrust Ageless Body as uh, some other stuff for mitochondrial optimization, which a lot of basically mitochondrial. So is that one in your formula, Sean? The curcumin? Yeah. Is in the one you mentioned? The curcumin, yeah. Along with Cosm 10, Sensoril, which I'm going to get into in a second, like the ashwagandha. But mitochondrial dysfunction is really at the core of most disease states. And then kind of coming out of mitochondrial dysfunction, you'll see things like glycation, like blood sugar damage. You'll see things like inflammation. And that's why 
I think the two most critical labs that if you're going to look at two labs, absolutely critical, and I don't know why we're not all looking at these maybe twice a year with our doctor, like preventative medicine, which is not really the way our medicine, (laughs) our medical structure works, but it would be CRP and hemoglobin A1C. Those are the, the, literally the two most critical labs I would recommend all day. And they're cheap. They're cheap. It's insane that we don't use them. But those labs. Well, we, we did um, a whole show on like how people can just go to online, order the test themselves, at least here in the U.S., and go get it done themselves. Because a lot of doctors, I've gone to my doctor and he's like, I'm not ordering anyone. You, you have no reason to suspect a metabolic disorder. I can't bill insurance. Not happening. And then so a lot of times people have to just do it themselves. So I'm glad you brought up those two. One of the things we do in Heads Up Health is integrate your lab tests from anywhere. And if you can't get them done, go buy it. LabCorp, whatever, Quest. Quest, find yeah. Dozens mm-hmm. of sites online. Go get, it, go get it done yourself. So I'm glad you brought those two up. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, I just wanted no, to interject about how people can do it themselves if they can't get a cooperative doctor. So what are you looking for? Obviously, you want to see CRP as low as possible, but what's the connection with A1C in, in this topic of like cognitive optimization? Right. So it's hard to, to judge your, your health status or mitochondrial dysfunction or level of, like I was just talking about, glycation, blood sugar damage, which if you look at one of the mechanisms of aging is anti-glycation end products, AGES, as they're called, uh, the acronym is. So the best way to look at this, to look at mitochondrial dysfunction, to look at glycation and inflammation, to look at your aging, how rapidly your body is aging and getting attacked, and how likely you are to get every chronic disease, every chronic disease, cardiovascular disease, Parkinson's, cancer, you name it, like literally every disease, including aging, is CRP, hemoglobin A1C. So CRP, C-reactive protein, is looking at systemic inflammation. And then, and you know, it's much harder to look at some other things that they might look at in research like IL-6, TNL, TNF-alpha, things like that. But CRP is super easy. And the other one, hemoglobin A1C, yes, that's something that diabetics might look at because it's a better longer-term indicator. Glucose is too transient. It's going up and down, up and down, up and down based on you know, what you're eating, insulin, stress, you know, all kinds of things. So you can't really look at glucose in a quick snapshot. But hemoglobin A1C, you can look at. That's why diabetics use it to judge how well they're doing in terms of controlling their blood sugar, the blood glucose, and their insulin. Yeah, we talked a lot about this one on our last show with Amy Berger. She went deep on on this marker and and a few others, fructosamine and some other ones. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, and that's where it gets a little bit more complicated when you're looking at those again. But these two are so cheap, so easy, that there's no reason we shouldn't. Like, it just drives me insane because, like, literally we could reshape the entire medical practice and the health of everyone in the world, not just with metabolic syndrome, which is, like, hypertension, obesity, high blood glucose, things like that. But we could reshape all chronic diseases, including cancer and everything. If we were looking at these, if we were tracking these and reacting to them and saying, you know, here's the proactive steps I'm going to take to lower these. But totally agree. We're Semi, not. And semi-annual. It's frustrating. Yeah. 
A green exactly. those should so, be run semi-annual. So those are your two favorites then, at least yeah. in the context of this discussion. In terms of just yeah. general, obviously you can go down a bunch of rabbit holes here, but like just if anyone is listening and they cannot pull up an HSCRP and an A1C test that's been done within the last six months and you don't have those numbers, we recommend go online, Google a place you can get them done. I know in some countries you can't even order CRP, so that's a challenge. But let's assume that you can. So those are the two mm -hmm. best numbers that you can just get general baseline on. I think those are great. So all of the stuff okay. we talked about can improve those mm -hmm. numbers. The CBD can help with, with systemic inflammation. A lot of the, the uh, intermittent fasting, every, all of the optimizations we talked about can bring the A1C down in range. So right. let's assume those are good. Then what are some of the more uh, advanced types of cognitive enhancers you'd go to next? Well, one of the ones I, I would mention just along the lines of hemoglobin A1C and really protecting the brain and your body against higher blood glucose levels. And even if you're borderline uh, diabetic or border, like glucose intolerant and you're not diabetic, you're still aging yourself. You're still reducing your brain health and quality. So being on berberine is just as yeah, effective as metformin, head-to-head yep. -head yep. in studies, just as effective, 500 yep. milligrams of berberine. And unfortunately, a lot of berberines are, um, I never do this, I never like talk about my own product because I hate being like, I hate selling stuff. I'm, I'm the same I'm, way, man, but just, I'm against just go that, for it. But I do so much yeah. testing on my own stuff that I, I'm going to keep mentioning my own stuff. Do it, please. What's That's frustrating good. is when we worked on IC5, the Biotrack, we had like about 50 different samples of berberine and they were all spiked. Like it only came down to like 48 of the 50, sorry, two of the 50 were, were legitimate. So it was very frustrating. Um, but berberine is highly effective at uh, lowering that blood glucose, improving insulin sensitivity. You might have heard like Alzheimer's is now referred to as type 3 diabetes. And what happens is if we have a traumatic brain injury, you think of like you're being concussed, like uh, a brain insult, like from MMA or, yep. you know, we think, we think of pretty like powerful a traumatic brain injury, but there's actually like, there's repeated concussion force with like, at a, on a micro level, think of like headers in soccer. They're showing that to be uh, affecting brain health. So you taking, the traumatic brain injury, there's actually a period of time where there's insulin resistance in that affected area of the brain. So it's not able to create wow. energy. And it's in a situation so of the brain called, injury induces actual ins, uh, insulin, resistance insulin resistance in the brain. Therefore, it can't heal the brain or create energy. So it's called a state yep. of insufficient cellular energy ice. Yep. And what happens is we need to provide it with one ketones healthier, exogenous ketones, the ketogenic diet, fasting. That, that was my that next provides question. cellular energy to the brain and helps the brain repair. The other yep. thing that would be smart to do is improve insulin sensitivity, taking something like berberine, and then reducing neuroinflammation in that area by taking things like CBD or the curcumin. So that so would be very logical there, to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you have really good A1C, you've been low carb, you've got your keto, your A1C is dialed in. 
is there still a benefit in that situation to a berberine supplement? That's the first question. And then in this context of nootropics, cognitive performance, I wanted to talk not not necessarily in a brain injury setting, but in a in a, a healthy person looking to optimize the use of exogenous ketones. So could you just touch briefly on those two points? Yeah, I think everyone should be on berberine. Cool. Period. At the end, it's potently anti-aging, and again, it's going to help with mitochondrial dysfunction and reducing that hemoglobin A1C, improving insulin sensitivity, ramping up AMPK, allowing for better body recomposition. I mean, when you're more insulin sensitive, we want to actually drive uh, reduced fat mass and improve muscle mass. And that happens. Yep. And one of the things that happens like as we age and we reduce our insulin sensitivity is that we we start getting in the state of sarcopenic obesity, right? So we're trading off muscle mass for fat mass. One of the biggest reasons for that is that we're not optimizing muscle protein synthesis. We're not optimizing muscle protein synthesis, turning on anabolism, creating more muscle, because we're not getting enough leucine. So that leucine threshold, leucine is the key amino acid that drives muscle protein synthesis. It's a BCAA, you might have heard of it, and whey is very high in, uh, in leucine. There's about two and a half grams or so in 25 grams of protein. But we're not getting enough of a bolus, typically, when we age to get enough leucine in. We might have 10 grams of protein, so we're getting like one gram of leucine, if that. And that's not enough to optimize muscle protein synthesis. As our insulin, as we become more insulin resistant, as we age, then we get in a state where it gets even harder and harder and harder where a young person that has high androgen levels, high testosterone, and they're highly insulin resistant, they have a very low leucine threshold. So they're constantly in a state of anabolism. They're growing, makes sense, right? But as we age and we become more insulin resistant and we have lowering androgen levels, then we get in a state where we need more and more and more leucine to turn on muscle protein synthesis but we're actually eating less and less and less leucine because we're not getting enough of a protein bolus. We're not eating enough protein in one sitting. It's not good to actually graze on protein throughout the day. You want to make sure that you're getting enough protein in one bolus to optimize muscle protein synthesis. It's better to have like one or two big protein meals than to have yep. some protein throughout the day. This yep. is, I think this uh, is very... and Tyler talked more about that as well uh, recently mm-hmm. at FitCon. Same, mm-hmm. same type of topic. So, so that's yeah. the case for, for the berberine. And then in terms of the cognitive stack, I love taking exogenous ketones. I use them strategically. I use yeah. them before I train heavy. I use them before I speak in front of audiences. I use them before I go into a high-pressure meeting or negotiation. I use them for headaches. I use them for hangovers. I know they have a ton of clinical applications, which is a lot of what Ryan presented. But what are your thoughts on those products? So what happens with ketones? We all have mitochondrial dysfunction. That's all, all the stuff I'm talking about, all the aging, all the disease tracks back to mitochondrial dysfunction. And what that means is you're in a state, again, of insufficient cellular energy. So you want to keep cellular energy higher when you provide ketones. You actually bypass an area of mitochondrial dysfunction, the secondary complex of the electron transport chain. And it provides that energy substrate We're dual fuel, right? We use glucose or we use ketones. One of the benefits that I think you get out, not only do you repair the brain and increase BDNF with the exogenous ketones 
for endogenous ketones. But, you know, one of the benefits I see with ketones is that you think about it like if we're glucogenic, we're in a state where we're um, glucose dependent and that's our main fuel source like 99% of Americans are. But let's say let's go back in evolution and, you know, we were eating plants and you know vegetables and fruits and, you know, whatever the grains were that were available. Then we're in a state where we can readily graze, right? We can find this food source. We can create fuel on demand. I mean, typically carbohydrate is more available, mainly available now, <laughs> but let's say like evolutionized, it was more available. But things like eating meat, like maybe through the winter, especially before we had uh, food storage, before we had, you know, that type of preparation where we can ferment and, you know, store things and all that. And it would have been hard to get that food. Now think about what the level of alertness when you're in a ketogenic state, the deeper you're in the ketosis, you're essentially starving. Like nutritional ketosis will get you to, you know, 0.51, 1.5 millimoles in BHB if you're looking at a blood glucometer. That kind of cognitive magic happens maybe, let's say, at two, three, you know, four, and you need to be fasted really to get more into that state. Fasting is essentially starving. Starving means, holy shit, we need to find food. I need to find food now and your body is saying that and i think that's where a lot of like the evolutionary power of ketones comes in is one you're never in a state of ketone resistance like glucose so that takes that takes that out of the equation it yeah, bypasses that, that mitochondrial dysfunction right so you yeah. don't have to worry about the mitochondrial dysfunction but then also you have a higher degree of alertness yes your brain likes glucose but it also loves ketones and I think the higher degree of alertness is literally for survival reasons. The greater you are in the ketosis means your body thinks you're starving. And it means we need come to and find food immediately. I need you to be hyper aware. I need you to be hyper skilled. And this is why like now executives are like, oh my God, you know, ketosis, this thing's great. You know, like doing ketogenic diet, I'm doing fasting, I'm doing exogenous ketones. This is why, because you're feeling like hyper alert. You're really tapping into something primal that's saying, we need to survive. I'm going to give you everything your brain needs so you can go find that thing, kill that thing. You're not going to be hungry. We're going to suppress the appetite. You're not going to need to eat. We're just going to turn you into a, a highly skilled machine to go do what you need to do. So I, I see the ketogenic diet as some of the most powerful. I, I see it as technology just knowing how to use this innate technology that we have that has become completely obsolete in our current society. So I think it's rediscovering what is very, very powerful innate technology. Well, the, the frustrating thing here is that it's become like, oh, it's this diet and oh, it's this weird thing. Keto is this weird thing. And doctors are like, I don't know if you should do keto. Let's go back to what I was just saying in evolutionary sense. One, if you hadn't ate in a little while, you're keto. Two, mm -hmm. if you're eating animals, you're keto. Three, a lot of the plants and roots and things that we would have been eating back in evolutionary times would have been resistant starches before we were able to cook them. So plant starch, potato starch, right? We know that's a resistant starch before you cook it and heat it and you know all that kind of stuff, right? Think of oats, like raw, like uh, steel-cut oats. That's a resistant starch. 
would all the fruits we would have uh, ate, you know, when we were primal, uh, you know, paleo times, would all those fruits have been ripe? No. Yep. Would they have been had as much mass to the fruit like as they do now? They're engineered to have. Like, there would have been more skin. There would have been a lot less actual sugar. There would have they would have been resistant starches. They would have been raw. Would have had more seeds. They would have they would have been more green. And when like a green banana, let's say, we know that's a resistant starch. So like all these things, like we would have been way more keto, way more keto. Like and and now we're talking about like oh the keto is this weird diet. We would have been very well adapted for both fuels. I'm not saying everyone needs to be keto 100% of the time. I'm just saying it's very normal to be both, to be dual fuel, to be well adapted to both. And right yeah, now, Western society is not. Yeah, it's taken a couple of years, but now I feel I'm, I'm I'm completely well adapted to both. I can dip in, dip out when I need to. I do use exogenous ketones strategically. I think they get a bad rap. They're misunderstood for, for lots of different reasons. So I think um, I'm glad we covered that just in terms of where it fits into the stack. But I'd love to go into the topic of microdosing, which is something I have not yet personally experimented with, but I, I definitely believe in the creative benefits that can come from very small doses of psilocybin throughout the day, very, very small, minute doses of LSD throughout the day. I know that currently these, these, these things are prohibited, but they have in, incredible benefit from a, a psycho-spiritual, a therapeutic point of view. But on this show, I wanted to get into the performance cognitive boosting of it and, and really just taking very, very minute doses of that throughout the day, not to a point where you are psychologically overstimulated or hallucinating, but where you're, you're doing your day-to-day work, whether it, for me, it's building software or for you working on formulations or things of that nature. And you, you start microdosing in, whether it's THC, where I'll just, that one I do microdose it, I'll, I'll bite in like five milligrams at a time until I'm, I'm at a point where I feel like I'm in a very, very creative space. But what about other ones in terms of psilocybin, LSD, other types of things you could microdose? What's your take on those from a, a personal performance point of view? Yeah, so I've used um, microdose LSD and I feel like the degree of cognitive enhancement is is noteworthy. And I not only that, I feel a greater degree of confidence. I feel more in a creative flow state, like you were just talking about, um, which is a highly productive state. It's, you're in a um, far less distracted state. So again, like kind of going back to that, that's where like that mindful meditation and gratitude yep. can be yep. the gateway to that flow state. You know, these things aren't just, you know, ridiculous, like hippie things. These things are the gateway to that flow state, to getting into that creative mindset where you're not distracted. So just to jump in there, Sean, like one of the mm-hmm. things I notice is that all of my work is hyper stimulating. It's working on social media. It's working through email. And and there's this great article by a guy named David Rock, and he calls it your brain on Facebook. And it's just, I, I am constantly over hyper stimulated. And it's just a dopamine surges going bananas in my brain all day where I have the attention span of a fly. But when I, when I introduce microdosing products, they slow that part of the brain down. And then I guess it's more of the slow alpha waves or whatever it is. I just notice yeah. the hyper, the hyper uh, 
irritability, distractibility goes down and the calm, creative energies come up. So like what's actually happening from a neurotransmitter point of view in that situation? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Exactly. I think there's uh, an adjustment in serotonin, more acetylcholine, a reduction in, in dopamine, possibly more GABAergic, like where yep. GABA is kind of calming. Right. But yep. again, you're, you're upregulating BDNF. And I think you're right in that you're reducing that level of distraction. And we are basically, it's been shown, proven clearly that we are not multitaskers, that multitasking is a lie. It's a yep. lie. And people think yep. they can multitask. They're just doing more things less well. And the more things you add, the worse it gets. So if you want to do one thing great, you want to get into a flow state then you need to put aside this idea of multitasking and dial in. And that's a lot of like that four-hour workweek concept is just allowing yourself to focus, reducing the distractions, you know, trying to pile up certain similar tasks into one area and not allowing things to kind of filter in from all over, like like notifications, like emails, whatever. So... So is that is that what you experience going back to your LSD microdosing when you're talking mm-hmm. and, and with me with THC where you start to feel the creative energies? Is that a good way to think about what you experienced? Yeah, you know, and, and another thing to think about, one, I'll throw out the caveat of one, it's illegal. Two, yes. you have to be this sure is all of your source. You have to be sure of your source if you're going to hypothetically go into this realm. Make sure that it's, you know, something that's, that's quality. But, you know, I'd like to think about one thing I like to talk about with LSD is like people think that, you know, LSD, like it's this hardcore crazy drug. One, all the stuff we've been told about LSD, like this, you know, these trips that you'll go into 20 years later and, you know, it stays in your spine and all these horror stories we've heard aren't true. Two, when people full dose, they, they certainly can tap into creative centers of the brain and, and really make breakthroughs. There's been people that have resolved PTSD completely by using psilocybin, LSD, or MDMA. You can look at the MAPS research, MAPS. They're yep. in stage so three of them. FDA trials, and they're almost with, approved uh, now. With what specifically? MDMA. MDMA. They use MDMA. For, for they'll PTSD. Have, mm-hmm, they'll have two uh, psychotherapists on, on staff, like helping this person uh, go through this MDMA session but they'll make breakthroughs. And when people are on these drugs, like you were talking about before, that it helps accentuate that creative flow state, it's because like when, when they're saying like, oh my gosh, like I never thought of it like that. And they're connecting these ideas that have been in their head. It's because literally you're more neuroplastic. It's that BDNF. You're creating new neural pathways. You're connecting two things that existed in your brain, but were never... Never, never made that connection before. And now it's like, oh my gosh, like that's, you know, it's so amazing. But when you microdose something, it's very different. So it's one tenth to one twentieth the dose. You can think of is, is one glass of wine the same as 20 glasses of wine? You know, it's very different. So like it has its benefit and you won't feel like you can't drive a car. You won't feel like you can't uh, get up on stage. You won't feel like you can't do that podcast. You won't feel like you can't crush your, you know, meeting, your morning meeting at work or whatever. Like when you do this microdose, it's just you feel 
cognitively clear, you feel in the creative flow state, you feel confident, you feel well-rested. It's just a good feeling. It's just you optimized. And it's similar with, with psilocybin, as I understand it. But those compounds, and then MDMA is more of a, a serotonergic thing, like where you're increasing serotonin and you feel you feel euphoric. And so I would say that, again, you know, people might think MDMA sounds like a drug and sounds like it's, you know, something where you're tripping and you're hallucinating and all these kinds of things. And that's not what MDMA is. It's actually just you feel really euphoric. You feel happy. And it reduces ego. It reduces barriers. It reduces these walls we create, these fears we create. And it doesn't even feel like alcohol. It just feels like when you have that great conversation with someone, you know, you like I'm sure at a few points in your life you've like had electric conversation. And that's when serotonin's like ramps up and you're like, Oh my god, I, I love that song and like you're you're just talking to this other person and man, oh yeah, I can't believe you did that too. Like you did that and like you're really excited to talk to Oxytocin boosts. Yeah. Yes, oxytocin, right. Right, exactly. Like you're really connecting with someone, right? Like with the oxytocin, like you're um, you're making that that deep friendship connection, and you feel like that sense of loyalty and love, and yeah, exactly. So, I mean, those kinds of things can really break down the barriers that like really put your certain parts of your brain in a box. Fear can be crippling over time, and when you see like some of these soldiers with PTSD step outside of their fears, step outside of like this, this box they put their brain in, this jail cell, and they start looking outside themselves and seeing themselves in the third person and seeing how sad they are and seeing how sad they're making other people around them, that in one to three uses, they're cured. This isn't like drugs for the rest of your life. They're cured. And it's really groundbreaking well, what's happening with some of this research right now. Yeah, it's incredible to see the academic rigor now being applied to it. I live here in San Francisco. There are some, there's the CIIS, which looks very closely at, at psychedelic research in therapeutic and academic settings. I think that work is incredibly important. I think we need it more than ever in our society. So I, I think that that stuff can't come quick enough into the therapeutic modality. I think it's also, like you said, a very, very different discussion on how you use these strategically around personal performance. So if that's something that, that people want to experiment with, I think it's awesome. Uh, I've had good experiences with it. Like I said, just from going from a hyper-stimulated state to a very creative state. These are tools. And then also, like you said, how do we, how do we turn off the ego for a little while and, and, and go shine the flashlight around our, 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 our life and, and look at things through a different lens? So I think all that stuff is awesome, Sean. And then um, the next one, I know we're, we're, we're taking up a lot of your time here, so I want to be mindful of that. But there's two more things I was hoping you could comment on. One was the um, modafinil provigil stuff. And then I thought we could also maybe end on some of the other types of modalities that we discussed, things like ayahuasca and, and other more powerful interventions of that nature if we have the time. But um, yeah. maybe you could just share your thoughts on uh, modafinil provigil 
and, and where that fits into all of this. Again, just in this context of building up from the, from the most basic building block, which is breathing exercises, <laughs> we're now getting into some of the more sophisticated technology, but, but can you help educate us a little bit on what those things are and how to, how to consider them? Yeah, so those are actually considered smart drugs. And, you know, there's certain ones that have been abused a lot. I would recommend not going the Vyvanse Adderall route because it's amphetamines. And I do not think that's healthy for the brain long term. I think that you're actually decreasing your brain health over time by hyperstimulation. And it's just, just not a healthy thing. But it seems like ProVigil slash NewVigil uh, are both very effective at increasing alertness without stimulation. And uh, ProVigil was actually designed for soldiers. And if you think about, like, specifically special forces or maybe the most extreme example is snipers, where they might go 12, 24, 48 hours, 72 hours without moving at being alert, at being looking through a lens. And you know how difficult that would be? So to provide them with not only the ability to focus on a greater level, but not have a stimulatory effect where they might um, which is the worst part you you feel like a creep you don't sleep well it's just right. gross and so right. this exactly. can give you that same type of benefit without the crash without the anxiety without all of the nastiness that goes along with an amphetamine based product exactly exactly and that's where the beauty of, of this product comes in I wish I could say we know the mechanism of action uh, clearly. We don't. That's, There's that's kind of the scary do. part is we don't know exactly <laughs> how it works. We, we, we know it works, but we're right. not exactly sure how. Uh, right. Yeah, right. Kind of a black box there. A little bit, yeah. But um, So ProVigil is one form, and then the active isomer uh, is new vigil. So it's more expensive, and you take a lower dose. Uh, both of those require prescription. Usually... Um, the reason that you would get on them uh, that you'd have to provide to your doctor to get, uh, you know, reimbursed for billing would be um, some things like sleep-related disorders. So maybe you have work shift um, displacement, like to where you're working in yep. night shift. Uh, it could be sleep apnea. It could be narcolepsy. Uh, yep. It could be insomnia. Those things are typical reasons to potentially talk to your doctor about to get a prescription. But I would say that there's another form, it's not quite as good, but it's a precursor that you can find as a research chemical online. You could potentially experiment with that again. It's not necessarily fully legal, it's kind of a gray area, and I would definitely try and get a quality source, but it's called adrafinil. So ProVigil is modafinil, uh, NuVigil is uh, armodafinil, and then there's adrafinil, which is the precursor to ProVigil. So that's one that you know people can look at and potentially find online and experiment with and then you know, see if it's worth maybe exploring those smart drugs further. But I would definitely recommend that over uh, Adderall or Vyvanse. And then going into, uh, I guess, the next step of, uh, of ayahuasca DMT, 
Um, well, I think are, those those are now leaving those are now leaving the realm of of, of nootropics and and day to day types of yeah, cognitive performance sure. boosters. So we we may not want to go into this topic today, but I I do think there are a lot of what you and I do in our work is helping people to unlock their full health, unlock their full potential, transform themselves in whatever method they need to and we can provide the information on how to use different technology like we've talked about here but at the end of the day i think a lot of the reasons we struggle with food choices with lifestyle choices with compulsive behaviors addictive behaviors all of the things that 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 challenge us in our modern society uh have in many cases a psycho-spiritual origin and that may have come from um things that maybe not even traumatic, but just things that happened in our formative years, things that have happened to us in the past that we don't have conscious intellectual access to process in the course of day-to-day life. There are certain things that are just inside the black box and it's painful over there and the ego says, we're not going to look in there, just forget about it. But it manifests in different ways. It It shows up in our life in different ways. And so... That's where I think that sometimes these tools can be extremely helpful is to help us go back and and process the shit that is tripping us up that we don't even consciously realize. And that frees us up where everything else we've talked about today becomes exponentially more effective. It's kind of like carrying around a few boat anchors and everywhere you go, you've got three boat anchors attached to your ankle and how can we just, maybe those boat anchors were, were clamped on when we were five years old. And so how do we get rid of the boat anchors? That to me is like where these stronger interventions come in. I know on your blog, the ayahuasca post was specifically about clinical research related to depression. So a couple different avenues we can go down here, but what are your thoughts on, on some of this? Well, you know, what's interesting along those lines is that um, what you're talking about with um, physical or mental trauma, uh, with depression, with things like that, that we can have physical manifestations in our body. We can have hypertonic muscles. We can have uh, areas of our body that get shut down as a result of mental trauma that you hold for years. That you, like you said, you keep in that black box. You might have that area behind your scapula, behind your shoulder blade that always has that knot. And when you go through some of these antidepressive therapies, these PTSD type therapies, or using MDMA, using psilocybin, using ayahuasca, using LSD, that people have often like lifted physical pain that's been there for years along with the trauma that's been there for years. They often go hand in hand. You literally have a physical manifestation of your mental trauma. And yeah, that's what happened to me. Just anecdotally. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was, it was stress that was causing physical symptoms in my life. Cognitive stress from work was causing physical effects in my body. And so absolutely it was. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. So yeah, exactly. So, I think people exploring some of this stuff and and being open-minded to some different routes might alleviate a lot of their issues that they've been dealing with for years. It's certainly worth uh, exploring more. Hopefully this podcast can 
open their minds to uh, you know reading some more online or or talking to some friends. Great podcast I just listened to on Ben Greenfield's show that that looks at it how to how to introduce these things in in responsible ways, how to be careful, how to make sure that you do your due diligence be, before you get into these types of areas because set and setting are so important. The the individuals that you're working with are so important. So I think it's important yeah, to introduce these to provoke thought, but I think there's there's a, a lot to consider about making sure they're used properly. Yeah, some, some reasons that people have uh, bad trips, quote unquote, uh, with some of these drugs, as you've explained when I've listened to some other podcasts and read on this myself, is that uh, oftentimes it's the setting. Like you're talking about, you're not around the right people, you're not in a common environment, you're not around Absolutely. people that are therapeutic, that are positive. You feel safe, you feel trust, yeah. you feel love. That is a huge part of not just these experiences, life in general, but, but equally right. important when, when you're using this, these types of technologies. Yeah, you don't want to be in a situation that's, that's an unknown and you're fearful and you're around the wrong people. And uh, yeah, so. So not only making sure you, if you're going to explore this route, one, understand the compound very well, make sure it's a good source, but then if you're going to do it, be around the right people and be in the right environment to allow for a positive experience to happen. I think cool. all those are very important. I'm a huge Ben Greenfield fan, by the way. We're, we're, uh, we're friends, and I, I love him to death. So I was on his show yeah, at one point, and we've, uh, we've stayed really good friends. Yeah, I just listened to one episode where they talked a lot about this type of thing. He had actually gone up to work with a woman up in um, Sonoma, Arizona, who does mm -hmm. all types of psycho-spiritual-based healing, not through plant-based modalities, just, just through therapy sessions in the office. So you, you don't have to use a plant-based modality. There are there are energy healers and psycho-spiritual healers, the one on, on Ben's show, and, and there's lots of them out there shamans who can help you just by going through a session in their office with with none of these types of um, psychedelics modalities and and that can help you unlock deeper states of consciousness cut the boat anchors and then use a lot of the things that Sean and I have talked about today that can just help us look and feel and, and perform our best so Man, we've been going hard here for like ninety minutes. So I think we've, <laughs> wow. we've, we've covered we've covered we've covered the whole gamut. But yeah, I think is there any last items that we didn't cover on this topic yeah. that you want to interject with before we close out? Sure. Like another area that I would say is super healthy to supplement with that I'm a big fan of is adaptogens. And so yes. adaptogens are really great. They're called adaptogens, you know, gen meaning like Genesis creation, but creating the ability to adapt better. Meaning yeah. like think of if your high blood pressure, low blood pressure, yeah. Yeah. your high blood sugar, low blood sugar, your hypergonadal, your uh, hypogonadal, like low testosterone, high testosterone, yeah. whatever. Like all these situations where you're high or low, you're overstimulated, you're too low energy. You know, like you're too sympathetic, you're too parasympathetic. These kind of scenarios like are really effective and we're 99% of the time way too sympathetic uh, in, in a yep. sympathetic state. Like we talked about where uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol are all jacked up, where we need to kind of come down better. And if we're too stimulated, we cannot focus. And that's where things like these adaptogens 
will help kind of give you not only mental energy and clarity, but, you know, allow for that focus and less distraction. And things like you're saying, like ashwagandha, my favorite form is sensorial, rhodiola rosea, probably two of my favorites. And those are those are probably like where I would focus most. There's some good ones, maybe for libido. I like maca, but I think ashwagandha and rhodiola make sense in the cognitive stack to add in. What's what was the format of the ashwagandha that you mentioned that you like? Sensoril. That's the most studied form. S-E-N-S-O-R-I-L. Sensoril. Sensoril. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's been recommended to me by... Sorry, that, that's in the Ageless Body product as well, like along with the um, the Curcuin and, and CoQ10 and some really good ingredients. Awesome. So, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Sensorial. That, that, that one has the most studies, and it's been shown to improve sleep, improve testosterone, improve um, strength and power, you know, reduce anxiety, all those kinds of things. So I think that's a, a great place to start the adaptogens and, and see how those do for you. That's incredible. We're going to summarize everything here. I've got okay. four pages of notes. I've got four pages <laughs> of notes here. So great. For, for those who are listening, we're, we're going to lay it out. We'll, we'll just start at the beginning, which is basic breathing techniques, gratitude practices, working with our own thought processes, all the way to some of the more advanced topics that we covered here. I'd, I'd love to link to your products, Sean. They sound incredible for people who want to try them. And then everything else that, that we've covered from the studies and uh, the reference papers and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll provide everything to those who are curious. Last thing and I'd like to recommend. Go? Yeah, well, oh, to, to check uh, my site, uh, Sean Wells, S-H-A-W-N-W-E-L-L-S.com. Uh, a lot of good information there. And and then also at Zone Halo, Z-O-N-E-H-A-L-O on Instagram. I'd really appreciate appreciate that. But the last thing I'd like to mention that I think is really pivotal in all this, since you're a data-driven guy, is you know the ultimate, I guess, data tracker is a journal. It's super simple. But, you know, doing these gratitude journals, planning out your day, taking stock of your day at the end of the day, and then even better, if you carry around this journal and you can make these connections, especially if you have your, your Fitbit or Aura Ring or, you know, Loop Strap or whatever these, you know, even your uh, iPhone watch or whatever, and you have more data and you know what you ate and you know the people you were around, you know how much sleep you got, you know what stress is coming at you at this exact moment. And you start recording these things, and you can start being aware of these. And that's where you get truly empowered. And that's you can, you can see how totally the supplements agree. are affecting you, the food's affecting you. How do you feel two hours after you eat? Like, you don't know. You're not making these connections unless you're tracking that stuff. But I think it's a very powerful thing to uh, have gratitude for how many things do go right. And so many things go right in our lives. We're so blessed. And, you know, to plan out, like, the big things you want to tackle today, if you just go into your day, like, just, you know, you wake up and you roll out of bed and, you know, just grab a donut, you you know, get in traffic and, you know, then, like, the emails start coming and, you know, someone runs into your office and says, hey, we need this. And it's just fire, 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 and you're just chasing your tail all day long. 
Like that's not a way to be productive and that's not a way to feel accomplished. You have to plan out your day. You have to plan as much as you can so that you can allow for yourself to achieve and also deal well with the unplanned things. It's okay to have the unplanned things. That's where the beauty of life comes from. Be it, yep. be it difficult scenarios like with that stoic mindset where you turn that into an opportunity, but also the beautiful unplanned things that are just spontaneous and that arise like that beautiful sunset or that beautiful girl or whatever it is. Like those things are amazing too. So I feel like you can allow yourself to deal with those unplanned things best when you've planned as much as you can. And I think that's very important to uh, to journal. And if someone can at least start with, you know, maybe in the morning and then going to the evening, like where you take stock of how you did that day, and then over time, maybe adding it in throughout the day. And I think it's better to do it actually in a journal and write it with your hand instead of Great. a screen. The screen, one, you can become distracted at all the notifications again, but two, our brain is 70% less effective when we look at a screen versus when we're looking at a piece of paper. And I think a lot of that is because we've been trained to passively take information from these screens, like from our TVs, from our movies, from our devices, that even when we look at our computer and we're trying to be productive, we're not that productive. And I think you can be in a greater creative flow state and a more higher productive state when you're on a piece of paper with a pencil and it's tactile and it's totally primal, you know? So I think that would be ideal if, if people can just uh, add that to their lives. I think that goes back to some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning, which is just yeah. connecting with your connecting with yourself before you start connecting with technology or the outside world. Just anecdotally in my own practices, I, I live here in, in Truckee, California and I go to the coffee shop in the morning. I get my coffee around 6.30 a.m., and I just put the date in the, in the corner of a piece of paper. And I just, I just write down the possibilities that I want for my life. There's three of them that I write down every single day. Just write down one or two things that I'm going to do towards each of those possibilities. I've got six months worth of paper in a binder just most days. So, I mean, that, that's how I approach it personally, just, just as a personal anecdote. And then at night, I just have a group chat on WhatsApp with my family. And I just send out my three things that I'm grateful for. And uh, it's kind of just a, a running log in there. So that, that's how I do it personally. I don't know if you have personal tips I love that. Share on how I do it. But, but that's, that's how I do it. It, it. it seems to work for me. It's part of my routine, so for what it's worth, that, that's how I try to do it. I'm not successful every single day, but I keep working on it. It's, it's a journey. Yeah, well, I would say that, you know, if you're, not, if you're not planning it and you're not writing it down and you're not saying it to yourself, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You want transformation in your life. You want these great things to happen in your life. You have to plan for them. You have to work towards them. You have to write them down and look at them every day and you have to say them to yourself, daily affirmations. You got to say like, I want to be such and such. And you have to believe it. You have to say it so many times. You have to write it down so many times that you believe it. It's not just something in the back of your head that you say, I wish, gosh, that would be nice. Make it happen. To manifest it, it needs to be written. It needs to be said. Living in an invented life. 
is what we can create for ourselves. I love it. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think we, we covered a lot of ground here, Sean, and extremely grateful for your time. I think you've provided a wealth of information. From my side, we've got a way to track it all. Make sure your health is improving while you try out all of these different things. Have the data so you can look back three years ago and say, am I better or worse than I was three years ago on my A1C, on my CRP, on my body composition metrics. So yeah, there's, there's just a ton of good synergy between the information you provided, my contribution to this whole world, which is, which is a way to measure it all and quantify it. This is awesome, man. I'll see you at Paleo FX. And uh, yes, hopefully we can, uh, we can uh, continue the conversation there. Absolutely. Yeah, Thank awesome. you, David. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 